0: and welcome back to the History of Video Games. My name is Wes, and I am here with Ben. Ben, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. How are you, Wes? I am doing really well, as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's good.
0: Do you want to uh, get us started off today with some of what you've been playing or working on recently?
1: Yeah. I feel like I should talk about WoW since I was talking about it last week. And I think I told you that, like, I started this little group of people and we're trying to do these dungeons as low level as we possibly can <laughs> right. to make them fun and interesting and we've actually done that we've done I think three dungeons now at this point point. and uh we tried the first one at level 10 it's a level 15 dungeon and we got destroyed <laughs> we tried it again at level 12 And we got the first boss down to, like, 84%. (laughs) You know, got destroyed there. Right. And then we tried it again at 14. We got new powers and stuff at 14. And we were able to do the whole dungeon at 14. So, it kind of made me feel like, oh, maybe we should have done it at 13, you know? (laughs) Right. But uh, it was still really cool. It was just, like, fun to see all the mechanics of the bosses because, honestly like we were three people one level lower than you're supposed to be for a five man dungeon (laughs) so having another two people there would have just made made it completely like trivial you know I I feel like and uh, since then we've done two other dungeons and we didn't go up as high so the other two were like level 17 dungeons and we only went up to 15 and uh, that made it quite a bit harder we wiped I think maybe two times total but we were able to get through them and uh it's just been like a lot of fun like really rewarding to see the bosses it really makes you feel like after we did those last two we were at 15 for a while and doing those two dungeons and then uncapping because now we get to go up to 17 before we're going to do the next dungeon it's like okay like i i feel like i earned those levels to 17 you know (laughs) because i did these really hard things and that's just so different from how you would play the game normally.
0: Right. Like retail. Wow. Is sort of, I mean, part of a symptom, I guess, of each expansion adds 10 levels or whatever. Right. It's like, you got to make leveling up those lower levels faster or else people don't feel like they can get to new content fast enough.
1: Yeah. And I think it's been doubly bad when I tried it. Cause when I came back, it was during COVID. Right. And I think ever since COVID started, WoW has a 100% XP boost that's always on. Oh, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. even doubly fast. <laughs> it's- so, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm, like, super excited for the raids, because for whatever reason, a lot of the raids, like, they'll unlock at, like, level 58, right? Like, for the Fenella raids, but then at level 61, they're locked again. It's like, well, if I missed out on those, doing those, like, two levels, like, I just, like, passed it by accident, and now if I go back, it's just one-shotting stuff, and that's not fun. So, um, yeah, it's weird, but uh, we're having a good time, and I'm I'm glad I'm doing it. I will say, it's funny, of the three dungeons, two of them were, like, revamped at one point, and one of them wasn't, and the one that wasn't, it was just straight-up not fun. (laughs) Like, (laughs) didn't matter, you know, that it was much more of a challenge, it was just, like, we were super boring, you know, like... The Bosses would do stuff like inflict someone with poison or put someone to sleep, and it's like, Well, we can't really do anything about that, so I guess we're just gonna sit here and try to burst them down, <laughs> right?
0: Because I, a lot of MMOs, and I think with the redesigns, Wow kind of was like, Oh, yeah, this is a good idea. Like, a lot of it's the um dodging, like zones appear on the ground, right? And you're like, Okay, yeah, you have to your positioning is important, and there's more activity, so it's not just DPS check on a boss that does this move at this point and you have to avoid that move but like you can't dodge you know
1: yeah exactly and uh, with the revamped dungeons there's a lot more of that and also with the revamped dungeons you have stuff like like the last boss we did there was a part of it where the boss would kind of go after somebody and you had to kind of just run away from them and try to not get hit so much or else like a certain amount of whatever would get stacked on you so um even just running away from my boss just makes it feel like oh I'm challenged to actually do something other than just sit here and spam my buttons you know so it's been a good time I'm, I'm excited to do to do more of them and I think as we get further in and do these harder dungeons also the mechanics will get harder too so I'm really excited about it nice so it's been going well I highly recommend if if you want to get into wow well I mean everyone's Gets into WoW for different reasons, but if you want to challenge and don't want to just do the current expansions content, you know, because that is still challenging for sure. But uh, if you want to do old content, the best way to do it, I think, is with the XP capper and going slow, so you get to kind of experience the content for the levels that it was meant to be played at, instead of just accidentally skipping half of the game, <laughs> which right. is what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah it's it's a pretty fun I'm um, having a good time what have you been doing though wes hopefully something different because i've been talking about wow for like months now
0: <laughs> well i'm at least interested in it and i hope uh the listeners are too so it's fine by me but as <laughs> wouldn't you know it you know I, I promised i was like yeah i'm gonna keep playing knights of the old republic i definitely did for at least one hour and then i just <laughs> lied to myself you and the audience and uh bought a new game <laughs> What'd you get? (laughs) So a new game came out on, uh, I want to say Monday, or it might have been late last week, sometime like a week or so ago, called Spirit Fair, which is hard to say. And the way I talk, I don't know if it's going to come across (laughs) very well. What is it? Spirit? Spirit Fairer. Like you're ferrying spirits pretty much because you're like taking the place of um, Charon, you know, like the ferryman for the dead. And so it's like this weird mix of like some Greek mythology, but it's also like this super cute management sim, basically. (laughs) You're kind of like this whimsical kid who's taking a place for Charon, who's like this scary old skeleton dude. And you're like finding spirits on these islands as you travel with this boat that you continually upgrade. And you have to like find out what foods the spirits like to make them happy. You give them hugs and it's super cute. It's just like a feel good game in general. I was kind of looking for that. I was like, oh, yeah, I could do mm-hmm. some little chill management, just grow some crops on this boat, make some food. I always love cooking in games, mm-hmm. and it's been really good. But they do say in the first line of their description, this is a game about death, <laughs> because it's part of it's also like you travel with these spirits, for say like hours of in-game time depending on how long it takes to complete their missions or whatever but then once you get to the end of their story arc they're basically like okay you've helped me go through the spirit world I'm ready to go and it gets really sad oh no <laughs> it's one of those ones where it feels like it's in a constructive and worthwhile way and it's not just like a game that's sad for the sake of being sad it's kind of like a I don't know there's like good emotions behind it and you get to follow these characters journeys and see it end and even though it's sad it's like okay I get it it's the idea of the game of like making these friends then letting go of them and then meeting new spirits and making new friends mm-hmm. so it's it's actually really beautiful the way that the gameplay works with the storytelling and I was worried it would be just like this we're gonna make you cry just so we can say that we have this sad game kind of thing but it definitely isn't it's gameplay super fun and i don't know it's just there's so much to do fishing all the resources that you get are tied to these weird mini games like these jellyfish will come flying across your boat and you have to do all these acrobatics and pop them to get this one resource and then to mine some minerals you have to meet this giant dragon in the sea and jump on his back and mine the minerals off of it and stuff mm. So the art direction and just the music and everything really works together super well, and I think it's a fairly small company that made it too. They've made a couple other indie games that I've heard of but never played. One called either Jotun or Jotun, I don't know how to pronounce it, which is based on uh Norse mythology and it's kind of like a more difficult game, like a I wouldn't say it's Dark Souls, but it's more in that vein than this game which is just like sailing around on a boat feeding spirits fish that you could find and cook and stuff like that so it's interesting to see them doing something like this which is very different and very different from what i usually play too but it is super fun
1: nice that's cool man
0: yeah yeah i've been loving it it was an impulse buy but it had a demo which i feel like not many games do anymore or at least i don't see them advertised much anymore so that won me over right away i was like okay good i actually get to take a look at your game and definitely worth it for me so far
1: good nice man it reminds me of that brotherhood game that i played yes that sad one
0: which i still haven't played because i know i'm gonna which you have to
1: when yeah. you
0: play it um what is it something a tale of two brothers i forget what the first word is though right
1: uh oh it's brothers a tale of two sons ah okay that's where i got confused
0: brothers a tale of two sons
1: oh it's so good dude
0: yes that's another one i have to play but if this one's gonna make me cry i should probably wait a little bit play something a little bit more uh <laughs> mindless or an uplifting story and then i can play that one when i'm feeling a little bit of a more cathartic yeah. emotional game or something like that
1: <laughs> yeah you, if you go into that one you gotta you gotta be emotionally prepared to go places <laughs>
0: <laughs> and sometimes i am yeah
1: so yeah, yeah. but for right now that uh Emotional
0: energy is dedicated to spirit fairer.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually launched uh, Restaurant Empire Two like a couple days ago, just because I needed something fun and upbeat. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's like one of those games I go back to every now and then. I'm like, this is just like a fun game. It's kind of like The Sims, but without all the waiting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, it's pretty cool, and the music is just the perfect type of elevator music you know, to get me in a nice, like an old school rich vibe or something. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Like I'm in a Hilton hotel. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. But should we get into the special topic, Wes? I feel like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think we absolutely should.
1: Might want to go over that. Yeah. So basically I feel like we talk about companies basically when they're going under, <laughs> like usually. And you know, we kind of wrap it up and, and talk about them and the games that they made. But there are a ton of companies that have been around that have not gone under. And we kind of haven't really talked about their games too much or, you know, like put a nice little wrap up of what they've been doing. I thought, well, why don't we do one of these bigger companies and talk about what they've been up to? Since this is the first time we've ever done it kind of with a game or with a company that's still been going. I thought we should probably start with Atari we'll start from their beginning and go I think we should break it up into two episodes so this episode will go through 74 and then uh next episode we'll do 75 and 76 too just to get kind of caught up to where we are now but um why don't you start it off Wes you can talk about the history of Atari just we've talked about Atari before but maybe just a quick uh summary of their major things and then I'll come in with the the games list here We could talk about those. Yeah. See what we remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'll give you the, uh, the quick highlights here. And for everyone listening, basically Atari was founded back in 1972 by Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney. And Bushnell and Dabney actually made their first game before Atari was officially founded when they partnered with Nutting Associates to create the cabinet for their game. They had just seen Space War and... They currently had a company called Syzygy, which is very hard to say, (laughs) Yeah, and they made Computer Space, which is one that we referenced a lot as well, and it was basically a space war inspired game. But then later that year, after splitting with Nutting Associates, they partnered with Bally Manufacturing instead, and they hired Al Alcorn to help them create games, and of course his first game that he created with Atari would be Pong, one of the huge ones that of course Atari is still known for today. And the reason that they changed from Syzygy to Atari, other than the fact that, thank goodness Atari is so much easier to say, is that (laughs) when they decided to create the company in California, there was already a company named Syzygy Engineering. How? I know. Apparently, it's an an astronomical term. I don't know what it means. I will have to look it up at some point. But Atari, on the other hand, is a word for this like certain board state or game state, in the game Go. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I forget why. I think they were both fans of Go, so they decided to name it Atari. And then in 1973, Ted Dabney decided to leave the company. Uh, He had a falling out with Nolan Bushnell. He was... Nolan Bushnell was apparently, like, not really inviting him to any of the big meetings, even though he was (laughs) co-founder. And later that year, Atari decided to create a fake competitor company, Key Games, which would be run by Joe Keenan. Basically, they did this because there were these licensing agreements with the distributors of arcade cabinets at the time that they couldn't license the same game with all of these distributors and sell it to a wider market. But if they made almost the exact same game with Key Games as a different company without people knowing it was a direct subsidiary of Atari, then like Atari could grab one half of the distributors and Key Games could grab the other, and basically they made a ton (laughs) of profit, or that was the idea. (laughs) And shady business practices, but worked out for them all right. And <laughs> I think it was only a year later in 1974 that it was found out that Key Games and Atari were basically the same thing. And at that time, apparently Atari was not doing so well, but Key Games was doing really well. So they decided, okay, well, let's just merge the companies and make Joe Keenan president.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that pretty much catches up to 74 with the, the big highlights for the history of Atari
1: yeah so let's talk about some of the games we'll see how many of these we remember i counted up between 72 and 74 28 different games including clones so because of all that i'm not going to list them all i'll only list the ones that are unique so keep in mind there's a bunch of clones here i'm skipping but if you want to know the whole list check it out on our website it's a page that i have already made so it's definitely up there (laughs) so obviously they started out in 1972 as you mentioned with Pong that was their first one and obviously took off massively but their second game was Space Race which I think is still one of my favorite games they've ever made it's essentially a Frogger game and since it's in space like black and white is like pretty okay you know like it was just like a good game for the time that one came out in 73 after Pong but also in 73 they came out with Pong Doubles which was just pong with two paddles per side they came out with gotcha do you remember this one at all Do you actually rated it but it was a long time ago <laughs> i completely forgot it i had to look it up
0: i think it has to do with catching balls instead of hitting them but that's all i got
1: it was a uh cat and mouse chase game oh, in a maze yes. yeah and the maze changed as you were playing it it would like change from the bottom to the top and slowly go up which actually I think is a pretty cool game, I don't know, for 73 anyway. And then we had Elimination, which I think was one of my favorite games of the year. It was essentially a Pong version, but each side of the screen was a different Pong paddle, and they each person you know tried to protect their own side of the screen, which was cool. We then had a rebound in volleyball coming into 74 now, and that was just Pong with gravity, kind of. You also had Super Pong, which was three paddles per person. All in a straight line, though, which is weird. (laughs) (laughs) You had World Cup soccer and and, uh, football, which was just five paddles per person. And then, finally, we get into the Grand Track 10s and Grand Track 20, which is a top-down racing game that we talk about all the time. We still see a bunch of those games today. We have Pin Pong, which is a, a pinball variant. We then have Touch Me, which is one that I happily forgot existed (laughs) Had to bring it up again which is a simon says type game that we didn't cover and then tank obviously a massive huge one there quok which is a duck hunt type light gun game which we weren't able to cover but sounds amazing and then tank 2 they ended 74 with there so um all in all i mean i think uh they made one game in 72 5 and 73 and then 22 and 74 so you can really see how much they're like pumping up production here and uh as far as like the big standouts for me obviously pong but then space race the Frogger type game is awesome we have to mention grand track 10 that's like one of the most duplicated games in atari's history <laughs> i mean they're still making games like that and uh tank which We've seen so many tank games now on all three of the second-gen consoles, I think, had a tank s game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, those are, like, the, the really big ones. But even, like, there's some in there that I think are kind of hidden gems like Pin Pong and, uh, and Elimination. So what do you think, Wes? How did Atari's early history stack up? I think we said that in, I want to say in 74, we gave him best developer of the year. Uh, I know at one point Taito took that place, so I'm not quite sure when that happened. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's I don't know. Looking back, it's it's very clear why we're still talking about them, and it's funny to remember, even though we're only at 77 now, how many things are just basically Atari did it first. Like they <laughs> back in the time where you could release all those different versions of pong as different games it's like okay well now that's what's popular with consoles now they really saw these different things and brand them as different things and mm-hmm. yeah so it's, it's really interesting and of course i forgot about elimination it was uh one of the first i think different and generally interesting pong variations that we saw
1: yeah one of the few <laughs> <laughs> but it's also interesting now that we are in the future a bit to see like, exactly how many clones of like Tank and Grand Track 10 there have been. Because at the time, I probably didn't know that like Grand Track 10 was related to all the indie games that came after. And then all right. those were related to all the uh, Sprint games that came after that. And we're seeing all these on consoles and stuff now. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that they all got their start way back when. And it's easier to see that progression now in the future, obviously. So, right. Yeah, I just thought, you know... Let's kind of look at Atari's history a little bit at a time, and uh, that's that was the early history of Atari from the first uh, three years of their time being a company. So we're going to look at 75 and 76 next week, get into some of the more recent games, and then uh, go from there. So I hope you guys enjoyed our little wrap-up of the early history of Atari, but without further ado, let's get into the games. Hello and welcome back from that awesome musical interlude. I mean, the musicians, just incredible. What would they think of next? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't know. (laughs) But uh, I wanted to kind of mention that we're wrapping stuff up here for 77. We're finally getting towards the end of the year. And uh, I know for a fact there's going to be four episodes left, including this episode. So we're really kind of getting towards the end here. and. I feel like this episode, Wes, is like a really interesting one because we're kind of like closing the book on a lot of big topics. We're going to be talking about the last games for the Fairchild, but also the last issues of creative computing and people's computers, and also the last PC50X game that we're going to cover for the year. And with all that combined, especially with the Fairchild stuff, is also kind of closing like the last second generation console games for the year because we've done the RCA and we've done the 2600 and now the Fairchild will be wrapped up too so uh yeah it's kind of like a, a crazy episode I think
0: absolutely so why don't we get right into it with wrapping up the creative computing November and December issue for 77 we had two that we wanted to point out on here from the list of games First one is Mastermind 2 which is basically Mastermind versus the computer but in this one you could be either the code breaker or the code maker whereas in a lot of the other versions or all of the other versions you could just be the code breaker.
1: Yeah not sure that was like very useful but <laughs> <laughs>
0: at least it's an option I
1: guess. Yeah and then the other game they had was called Othello which is actually based off of the board game called Othello but it's also known as Reversi. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I did look it up and I think it might be fun to play sometime, but not like a basic version. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Basically text based, so we'll find some other version. I'm sure it'll get ported around. Not worried about it.
0: And then that brings us to the beginning of our section on Fairchild's final three games. So I'm going to start us off with the Fairchild Video Cart 12, which was baseball. Something we've been seeing a lot of, a lot of computer games on. I think we recently saw a couple different arcade cabinets on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now taking a look at this console version of it on the Fairchild, the box itself. I like to talk about the little cartridge boxes because every now and then they have some crazy stuff on them for the Fairchild. This one it's just a over the shoulder of a batter and then the pitcher in the distance, nothing mm-hmm. crazy, but I mean, what, what were they going to do for baseball? I don't know. It was the 70s, they could have done something crazy, but I'm fine with this. <laughs> but going over the gameplay for this, it's pretty much just a simple and pretty faithful game of baseball that it plays. It's only two player, there's no one player versus AI mode. The pitcher can control left or right curve, slow or fast ball speed, which is kind of a big feature for this game. And they can also make these changes the whole time that the ball's in the air or traveling so it's not like you select a fastball with a right curve you know you can literally make it do like zigzags if you wanted to or or like a curve like a wave Mm -hmm. so it's basically like putting the english on it which is whether it's good or not it's at least it's interesting yeah (laughs) i I mean it's i think it's pretty good it didn't look like broken it looked more like funny and interesting than broken (laughs) Mm -hmm. you can throw balls you can hit fouls so it's nice to see those options in there because a lot of a lot of times you don't get all the different options in baseball games the batter basically only has one button to hit so their whole thing is just timing the swing but for the mm-hmm. pitcher also after the ball is hit you can control four outfielders at the same time and catch the ball to get an out there's no ground balls I guess in this really any ball that you catch is an out and it plays a full nine innings apparently I think it's yeah, I know. That's I'm used to seeing like five-inning things because the games take too long, but these actually go really fast, so it kind of works. And it shows the score, total score for both teams in between each innings. It kind of like goes to a blank screen and then says which inning it is. It shows the total score. And then while you're in the game, it shows you, of course, the outs, the balls, the strikes, and the runs that you have for this inning. And also the player's switch colors a match like when the outfield and the bat or at bat teams switch so all the outfielders will be blue at first and then green when the second player's in the outfield nice yeah it's a small touch it makes a big difference so going into the graphics for this i just gave it a 1.5 out of 10 we're still dealing with blocky graphics for the fairchild that have the same white green blue red color palette that we're used to seeing But the way that they did baseball, I think, was actually really good considering the technology that they had. There's 14 different players on the screen. If there's a person or a man on each base, the people are kind of like blocky arches with like a block on the top. For the musically inclined, it sort of just looks like an upside down tuning fork. But I mean, you know, it gets the message across. The pitcher has Mm -hmm. an arm and the catcher. Is shorter to the ground and his legs are sideways so it looks like he's actually uh, kneeling down which is pretty good okay and then the bases are also these little lines on the screen the score the strikes the balls and all that are pretty easy to see but there isn't any movement for the batters running the bases they just like teleport to each base and the outfielders do actually slide across the screen when you move them instead of just teleporting to either side but you know there's no animation because it's the fair child it can't do all that much graphically
2: mm-hmm.
0: the bat swing and the ball are both really easy to see which <laughs> I don't know maybe that's seems like not much of a compliment but on a lot of consoles you know like the bat might disappear for half the time that it's swinging and then just like show up <laughs> right. at the end or the ball is going so fast that you can't even see where it is but you can actually track the ball pretty easily which is nice so overall it's still pretty simple which is why I gave it such a low rating but considering what other games have done on this system, I think this is a really good, uh, like, you get that it's baseball. It gives you almost all the information you need for baseball on an old console. For sounds, I gave it a 1 out of 10. I really feel like they could have added more sound. In all the videos I watched, I'm pretty sure there's only one sound, and it's a beep <laughs> when the ball is hit. Oh. And I don't know, like, give me, like, the same beep if I hit a home run or something. And maybe that was in there and I just never got a home run and never saw anybody get a home run, but I think it was only that single beep when you hit (laughs) a ball. So it was just even with the limited capabilities of the console, they could have done a lot more with that. Mm -hmm. Moving on to gameplay though, which is probably the highest point of this i gave it a 2.5 out of 10 it's super simple but it gives you enough options that you can play like a fun video game version of baseball which we haven't had tons of those yet in video game history Mm
2: -hmm.
0: the fact that you have so much control over the pitch is awesome you can switch up your tactics so if they're hitting all the slow balls that you're throwing at them throw a couple of fastballs see if you can throw them throw them off with that But then, you know, they kind of, it seems like if you throw a fastball and they hit it, it travels way faster across the screen. So there's that kind Mm -hmm. of risk reward sort of situation, too. Makes it a lot harder for your outfielders to catch. So it's more like skill and strategy than I feel like we've seen in a lot of these baseball games. The batter doesn't really have any options other than just getting good at their timing and practicing. Mm -hmm. But since it's baseball and the way that they have it set up it actually switches innings so everyone gets to play outfield i think it works out because outfields where there's the pitcher has a lot of fun options you actually get to move the outfielders that's kind of where a lot of the fun gameplay is for this Mm -hmm. but i don't think that's too much of a problem since everyone gets to play at the same amount it's so simple but it did enough interesting stuff give you enough options that it's fun to play even though it's these like Strange block people on the Fairchild, which is super bare bones and there's no sound. The gameplay' is fun, which is saying a lot yeah. for uh the way that they designed it, so I think they did a really great job with it. I would have liked maybe a couple more features or a little bit more for the batter to do, like a bunt option or something, especially given how complicated those Fairchild controllers are. like you could have <laughs> them like bop it to do a bunt, but I don't know right, but overall, still, the gameplay was really fun. And for relevance, I gave it a 7 out of 10. It didn't really seem that revolutionary to me at first, but I think it just makes a lot of small improvements on other baseball video games. You can fairly easily move your outfielders to catch a ball. You can control the pitch with tons more skill options and a lot more variety than you can in a lot of other baseball games. So I'm sure that even if this isn't the one that pioneered all those or that made them all, Famous in video game history, it's one of the most prominent ones, and we're going to be seeing tons of those options in other baseball games in the future, I'm sure. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so, overall, I gave it a two out of 10. I think it's a really solid game of baseball, and I was really impressed considering it's on the Fairchild, which they do have a lot of good games, but it is still a pretty limited console in what it can do. Yeah. And I think that's mainly where it falls short. You know, if it was on the Atari. 2600 and it was maybe the same designers it could have been like fantastic but even with what they had the gameplay is super good the graphics work really well even though they're a bit bland and the sound is just really one of the biggest weak points for this Mm -hmm. but all around it's just a like super solid fairchild cartridge
1: yeah it really reminds me of the baseball arcade machine games that we've played I mean the gameplay is like I would say almost identical I think the English was a lot more prevalent here but which was great and um but it's the first time we've ever seen a baseball game like done well on a console. Like beforehand only the RCA Studio Two tried it and it was like I mean it wasn't like the worst game that they ever made, but it wasn't as good as this. Yeah. So as far as a the gameplay, they did what arcade machines at the time were doing on a console pretty well. So yeah. uh it definitely it definitely a solid one, I think.
0: Yeah, they knew what they couldn't do, but they did all the things they could with their capabilities the best, I feel like, for this game, yeah. o- other than sound. Ticks yeah. me off, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: you know, I think we're going to have some similarities there.
0: <laughs> so do you want to, I'm curious to hear about what you think about uh, the one you played.
1: Yeah, I did Video card 13, the next one in the, in the series here. As with all these video cards, we're not quite sure of the dates that they came out. So we're just kind of grouping them up here at the end. But video card 13 is interesting because it's a double game cartridge, which we ha- I feel like they've had a lot of those in the beginning, and they haven't really been doing them that much lately. But uh, we've got two games, Robot War and Torpedo Alley. And yes, those themes have absolutely nothing to do with each other. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> It's weird too, like the box art. You know, it's literally like R2D2 for the first game, and then just like a battleship (laughs) for the second one. I don't, I don't understand. Maybe the R2D2 Robot War one was like a late edition. I don't really know though. And the games like don't share sprites or anything. They're just completely different. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's kind of strange. But let me get into the two games. I'm gonna start with Robot War, the first game. And this one I actually loved a lot. It was essentially video chase, which you've done before, Wes, on the the Play Doh systems. Right. And I think if I remember right, it was kind of weirdly turn based, but also like wasn't it like a certain amount of time, like uh Play Doh's hidden timer or whatever that you had to kinda of go work with?
0: Yeah, like refreshed on the I don't know what you'd call it, but it's like the ticks of right. the Play Doh system, I think.
1: This is the first time I've ever seen one of these games actually be in real time, like just straight up real time. And it is so clean and not clean, but like just so much more fluid right. that it just is way, way cooler. I've kind of been a fan of the chase games, honestly, but essentially what the game is is everything's kind of randomly spawned in. You've got your character. In this case, we've got only four they're called force fields in the game, but little squares that are obstacles that if you run into it, you actually will get kind of stuck in it for a second. But uh, if the robots hit it, which I'll explain in a sec, they'll get destroyed. So basically when you spawn in, you get the force fields and then you also have four robots that spawn in randomly. And uh, your job is that they're gonna be kind of coming towards you. And you're trying to position yourself in a way where the direct line between where you are and where they are, there's a force field in the middle because that way they'll kind of run towards it and hit the force field and die because they can't dodge, you know? They'll just kind of come at you and if there's a force field in the way, then, uh, you know, there's a force field in the way. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) they'll get destroyed. So the game is, can you destroy these four robots without being tagged essentially by the robots? Which, in this case, when you get tagged by it, instead of just straight up losing, one of the force fields gets destroyed and the robot that tagged you teleports to that place on the, on the field and then the game continues until all four force fields are destroyed, in which case you would lose or the robots are destroyed. So it kind of like, instead of just straight up dying, it makes the game a little bit harder every time you get hit to, hmm. to win, which I kind of like. I think it's cool. I'm wondering
0: then, so if you only have three force fields left, there's four mm. robots do you have a
1: way to kill them all yeah when the robots hit the force fields they don't destroy the force fields so um, oh, okay you can have only one force field left and have four robots and if you can get all four into that one force field you'll be fine right
0: so you could you could destroy them all on one but it just makes it so much harder
1: yeah because you got, got it you know it's hard to position four of them if they're coming at, at you from different angles to all hit like one <laughs> You know, it's impossible for them to all hit one thing in between them and you if they're all coming from different angles. Right. So uh, it just makes it a, a lot harder. How the game works and how you can escape the robots, in your game, there was like that jump button or whatever. Right. Which I actually really enjoyed and thought that was cool. In this case, how they do it is horizontal and vertical movement, all things travel the same speed, but diagonal movement, you actually move like double speed. And so if you go diagonally you can actually build distance between you and the robots oh interesting yeah it sounds kind of complicated but when you play it you can pick up on that and actually I think it's one of the ways you can kind of exploit it because there's like a a very simple strategy to winning which is just you kind of just run one direction where there's no robots they'll kind of start to bunch up and run towards you and then you can build distance by going diagonally a little bit and then just kind of maneuver away behind a force field and watch them all die so uh i don't know though i think it's very fun i just think the game is very hectic feeling you know because you're constantly moving and being chased because there's no downtime whatsoever and uh also what's cool about both this game and torpedo alley and this might have just been a fairchild general setting i'm not sure if it was like built into the games but you could change the speed of how fast the games played so the fast setting for Robot War was pretty hectic feeling. <laughs> and uh, they would chase you pretty fast. And, the, you know, there was no real refresh rate problems or anything like that. So um, I really enjoyed that game. It's very simple. All the graphics and sprites and stuff are just very simple. And the screen is pretty much blank other than four force fields, four robots, and one dude. But... uh. It's still fun, and all the sprites are pretty small, so it feels like you've got a big play field to run around in, and you can wrap around the screen and stuff, so I thought it was pretty cool. And then Torpedo Alley, this one was just like, why is this even in here? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. It's essentially air sea battle from the Atari 2600, but just worse because it's on the Fairchild. <laughs> You're essentially an artillery piece at the bottom of the screen that you can move left or right, and you can also change the angle of your gun and then you're just shooting ships that go across the screen left to right and right to left you know that's kind of it we've seen that done so <laughs> many times yeah and there was no like weird gimmick to it or anything it was just like just a target game essentially there were some like I guess mines but just static objects that just tried to buck your shots but the ships move really fast so if to hit them you kind of have to, I feel like, stay in one spot, know where your bullet's going to go every single time, and then just time it out, you know what I mean? That's how I would play it. adjusting
0: and doing new angles, yeah.
1: Yeah. And when you shift your artillery piece left to right at the bottom of the screen, it doesn't really move very fast like your character at all. So it feels like the ships go by you a lot faster than, than you can move. Which is, again, kind of a weird thing. So that one, not really sure <laughs> what they were thinking there, but uh, <laughs> I guess it hasn't been on, done on the fair trial yet, so they needed their version of it. But to me, the real highlight is Robot War. I think it, that's something you could play for many hours, you know, until you got good enough to beat it very consistently, in which case it would start to get stale. But since you can start off with the slow speed and try to outmaneuver the robots on that speed and then slowly, you know, speed it up, speed it up, I think it makes a pretty nice little challenge there. A nice little difficulty curve, so. Getting into my scores, for gameplay for these two games combined, I give it 2.75 out of 10. Again, that's mainly Robot War, but I guess, you know, it is nice to have two games on one cartridge. You're getting a little bit more bang for your buck there, even if the second one isn't as cool. You know, I think I talked about the gameplay with both of those enough but for <laughs> graphics I gave it 2.5 out of 10 this one was weird because uh like the Robot War one the graphics are just incredibly simplistic and there's nothing like pretty about it but it works and you know what everything is so weirdly it's like one of those where I don't think it really needs that much to be cool and uh, right. what it had I think was totally passable and then for Torpedo Alley Your artillery piece looked really lame, but the ships didn't. The ships looked pretty nice. And they even had like a little explosion sprite when you hit them. There were three different ship designs. So I thought all that looked pretty good. And also, Torpedo Alley had a different shade for the sea compared to the sky. They had a a white sky, but then a light red sea which I think is the first time we've seen a color that hasn't just been the straight-up green, solid green, solid red, solid blue. Yeah, It's definitely. been the light shade of red, and it looked pretty nice. So uh, I quite like that. So graphics, it wasn't anything special, but I thought they did a good job for what they were going for. And then sound, this is, again, it's just so bad coming from the Atari 2600. Yeah, <laughs> Like, the Torpedo Alley... It took a while for me to figure out what was wrong with it but there's no like just background hum of any ships or anything. When like nobody's firing it's just silence you know and uh, it just feels completely empty even more than we're used to because uh, in all the Atari games there was always like background hums or you know you would hear like a ship engine or something and there's just, right. it's just silence and then Of course, all the shooting sounds and the sounds in Robot War 2, like, they all were just Pong sounds that we've heard a bajillion times. In Robot War, I didn't really mind it, because, again, it kind of matched the theme a little bit, kind of beeps and boops that we would hear from a robot. But for the torpedo one, it's like, okay, my artillery gun shouldn't be making beeps and boops. (laughs) And I don't think it had a sound for when you hit something. I think it was just silent. That could have been wrong, but certainly if you missed you only had one beep from that shot so it was uh pretty disappointing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so just 1.25 there and then relevance i get 6.75 out of 10 because of robot war i mean the first video chase game that was like not turn-based whatsoever so that was really fun to play and, and pretty cool I'm hoping that we get more of these chase games because I I just like the genre. I think it's different and fun to try to outmaneuver these robots, especially at fast speeds. So, And because it's random every time too, the starting positions of everything, I feel like you can play it a lot and not get too bored. So uh, for for Robot War mainly, I'm giving it 6.75. And then total, 2.25 out of 10. I mean, I don't think it's like amazing, but I enjoyed my time especially with Robot War so I don't think it's a bad one either so I feel like this is one it's more like you buy it for Robot War and then you get like this Torpedo Alley game like as a bonus
0: (laughs) right yeah I mean you're getting two games out of it
1: yeah exactly so it's worth having I think for sure but yeah that's uh, the 13th video card do you want to wrap it up here for the year Wes the last video card
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to talk about video cart 14 for the Fairchild, which is called Sonar Search. And it's only one game on this. And it's just totally caught me by surprise. Okay. I I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. But the more I looked into it, I was like, this wasn't what I was expecting. (laughs) So the illustrations on the box are, you know, it's got one of like your typical sonar Radar pulsing thing going out, and then one of the ship exploding. Which it's pretty much all you need. It's basically like battleship <laughs> themed for most of this. For the gameplay, it has one player and two player modes, and they're both slightly different. In the one player mode, the opponent's ships, which like I said is battleship theming, so each player in this has five different ships, and they basically look like all of the ships in typical battleship with like your destroyer your submarine your aircraft carrier and all that so in the one player mode the opponent's ships are all invisible can't see any of them on the screen and you control basically a reticule that's on the screen that shoots torpedoes and makes sonar noises wherever your torpedo lands and depending on how many noises it plays or how long it plays the sonar noise for that gives you the distance that the hit was from any possible targets near you hmm. which is really weird and interesting uh you have to hit ships multiple times based on their size just like typical battleship there's like two three hits one four hit one five hit and one two hit which it's, it's exactly the same as battleship in the one player mode you get 84 chances which i thought was loads like i was like why would they give you that many chances and of course i was down to 10 on my first game and i beat it but i was like okay maybe i needed that many shots to be able to figure (laughs) this out i think after you played it a few times you could probably do it in like 50 or 40 at least if you got good at it but since the ships are just randomly on the screen there is some sort of randomness to it Mm -hmm. and then basically in the one player mode you just find all their ships with your 84 shots and destroy the five boats and in the two player mode both players fleets are on the same screen and invisible Uh, so contrary to battleship where you have like your separate boards that you're playing on and basically it's the same thing except each player takes a turn taking eight shots and it either decreases based on the amount of hits that you made last turn or maybe the amount of ships that you have left i just know sometimes i saw a player take a turn and it said they had six shots available instead of eight or four shots Mm. available. Not too sure what exactly decided that, but basically you keep taking turns doing the same thing. As far as I could tell, the sonar only notifies the player, the active player of enemy ships. It didn't look like you could shoot your own ships at all. So that's nice and more than I would have expected for a uh, (laughs) slightly complicated concept on a console. And basically whoever sinks all the opponent's ships first wins. I don't think there was a maximum number of shots that would just like end the game at all in this one, but I'm not positive. And it did look like the ships could be positioned on the screen, both horizontally and vertically too, like typical battleship. So basically it's battleship is what, if you haven't got that from me (laughs) saying it, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because I mean, it's video game battleship which I don't think we see now, really, except for, like, differently interpreted concepts. And we definitely haven't seen any yet, or at least that are straight up, like, it is Battleship. So it's super interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah I think the closest we've seen it were those, like, plug-and-play games, right, that you still had, like, a board. <laughs> but uh, the computer took guesses or something. I co- I kind of forget.
0: Right, yeah, and there was a Battleship version, but it was basically, like, computer-assisted regular battleships, so you could have a computer as your opponent kind of thing (laughs) yeah which which is i mean sort of a game but this is like a console video game so it it was really neat so talking about the graphics for this i gave it a two out of ten even though it's the same old fairchild graphics something about the way that they did this game works really well all of the five ships look different they're all just as identifiable as the normal battleship ones like you can tell each one's a different size and they all have their own theme and instead of the typical Fairchild solid white background they just made the whole background blue in this which in any other game might be like oh it's just a plain background and this one it's like oh it makes sense and it actually looks nice (laughs) so part of it's just the theming of it being a ocean based game i was i didn't mind just one solid color background at all Mm -hmm. it is weird because when you start off the game there's nothing on the screen because all the ships are invisible it's just the blue space your white reticle to fire and then the number of shots that you have left in the corner but the reticle itself looks interesting and kind of weird there's a small explosion for the missile nothing crazy but it looks pretty good and then there's also this white square with a colored dot in the middle for either red or green, depending on which player it is, to mark when a ship has been hit, but it doesn't reveal the whole ship unless it's been sunk completely. And that's the only time that you see the whole ship sprite. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was just impressed that they had that many different things for Fairchild. Yeah. Like there's a couple different visual aspects here. I mean, it's really simple graphically but it just works really well for this game. And same thing with the sounds. I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. It's the same old Fairchild sounds, but we're talking about like sonar waves and there's one beep for firing the missile and then like these quick succession of slightly different sounding beeps for the sonar going out. And that's basically it. But since the sonar plays for a while after every time you take a shot because it's trying to figure out where the boat is and it could be super far away there's a lot more sound than this than i feel like a lot of the fair child games have so yeah it's still just you know pong beeps being played faster or further apart at different pitches but it works for this yeah and i thought the whole idea of like audio cues to figure out where boats are is pretty cool
1: yeah it's like the one thing that actually makes this different from the board game because so I feel like anytime we see one of these like board games become a video game, I'm always like, yeah, but I could just play it on the board game, you know? But this is like, only a video game can do this weird sonar searching stuff. So that's a nice addition. I thought it was like, okay, this is actually, there's a reason to play this game now.
0: Right. Yeah. You're like, hey, this console has sound. Let's make that an asset of this game and actually part of the gameplay, which I think is really smart.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So getting into my gameplay rating, I gave it a, only gave it a 2 out of 10. I think it's really good. Uh, it's great to see a battleship type game on a console. I think the invisible ship and sonar aspects make it fun to play with two players and interesting enough and different enough. I do want to say that I had to read somewhere that the sonar travels in an expanding square instead of like an expanding ring like normal. Mm -hmm. sonar and that kind of makes it make a lot more sense because before i was like where are these ships but it's because (laughs) you know if it's like on a corner from you i don't know the way it does it is a little bit weird but it helped a lot knowing like oh it's a expanding square basically because how would a game in 77 figure out what a circle is i don't know um (laughs) and i do appreciate that there's two different game modes on this even though they are Pretty similar, but you still could play it by yourself if you wanted to. For me, though, the main detractor from the gameplay is that you can't place your own boats in two-player mode. I mean, it kind of takes away that whole strategic element of Battleship where you're kind of like, oh, if I try to put these here, then they might not guess that if you're playing multiple games. Yeah. But on the same side of that, me saying, I missed that, and I wish it was in this game, I also think the way that they set it up is like the only way they could get a fun two player mode of battleship to work on the Fairchild with the invisible ships just randomly positioned I think if they tried to make it so you could position your own ships with the hardware they had it probably would have (laughs) sucked it would have been like a split screen and like two separate sides and I don't know
1: I feel like (laughs) somebody would have had to leave the room you know what I mean
0: Right, yeah, like it would be like the Odyssey, and they would say, "Now, player two puts down their controller and leaves while you yeah. place your ships." <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and so, I don't know. That's kind of a back and forth. It's a detractor, but also, I think the way that they did it probably makes the most sense for how they made this could have made this game work. And so, for relevance, I gave it a six out of ten. And this game really surprised me. I was just like, "Okay, whatever," this weird sonar game, but I think it's a uh, one of the most fun fairchild games or at least like it's interesting and weird and different and it seems like it would be fun to play for a while but Mm -hmm. i don't know how relevant this type of game is in video game history and how much we'll see it in the timeline coming up i could be wrong but it just doesn't feel super impactful so i didn't give it a super high relevance but i do think it's super relevant to the fairchild just because it's so unique and interesting even though it's very obviously a battleship game but like we were saying how many battleship games do we even see it yeah. doesn't really matter that it's battleship because it's they did it in an interesting way and so overall i gave it a 2 out of 10 i really wanted to give this a higher rating than baseball because i was like oh the sound is so much better on this but i think the gameplay on this would get stale a lot faster than it would in baseball uh, yeah. just because there's less of like a skill element really both people could kind of get good at figuring out where the sonar is and since your boats are placed randomly then it's sort of luck of the draw who guesses right first or i don't know and there probably is skill in it that i'm not thinking about but comparing those two video cards it kind of made them the same in my mind for their overall score of two points that i gave them baseball's Mm -hmm. got the better gameplay this has probably better graphics and sound but overall i don't want to take away from the fact that I almost forgot the name of it because I keep calling it Battleship. Uh, that Sonar Search is a great game and a super unique and interesting entry in the uh, Fairchild lineup. And I'm happy that it's the way it's wrapping up, 77.
1: Yeah, honestly, those, all three of these have been kind of better than I thought they were going to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned the Odyssey. I feel like the Fairchild's kind of getting into that territory where they starting to take more risks and do these weird off-the-wall games and I'm I'm pretty happy about it
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely
1: and so with that I mean that's wrapping us up for the Fairchild and for second gen overall what do you think Wes like it's weird to think that before this year we only had a couple Fairchild games and that was it and we've gone through an entire RCA console (laughs) and um, some Atari 2600 games and a bunch of Fairchild ones too but uh, I feel like console gaming, it's really evolved a lot since last year, I think.
0: Yeah, and even just over the course of 77, I mean, you know, the Fairchild couldn't make innovations mid-77. They were sticking with the same console the whole time, but all these games, just as good as they are, and as much as Fairchild is being the spiritual successor to Odyssey and doing like fun, interesting, weird stuff, it definitely seems dated now. Basically, yeah. now that the Atari 2600 exists. but That's true. <laughs> it kind of makes it feel like, okay, when we're doing all these ratings, we're saying, oh, well, I'll give it a 2 out of graphics. I mean, you know, it's the fair child. But <laughs> like, <laughs> there's that little caveat there. But I don't know. It's still one of those ones that, because it's weird and they keep doing fun, interesting stuff, I still like them, even if they aren't the, the best games, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, it's weird because, you know, last year the Fairchild was our best console of the year. Fairchild and the Odyssey 500. And nowadays it'd be like, not even close, I think. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that's just the, I just feel like consoles in general is kind of, they're really taking off now, so. I'm excited to see what 78 holds, but let's close another book here, Wes. We're going to talk about the PC50X line for the last time for this year. Before I forget, I think I already, maybe I already said this, but PC50X line we didn't get we didn't have any of the dates for any of their games so I did what I thought was probably the most accurate which is I took half of the games and we're doing them in 77 and then the other half are going to be in 78 so this is the last one in 77 the PC504 and it's the last one I rated for today and oh boy Wes we got get ready for a good old fashioned Ben rant oh yeah <laughs> uh, yeah this is uh this is not good (laughs) (laughs) looking at this one compared to the other pc50 whatever chips i just don't understand how it could be this bad (laughs) like the last chip or i forget what the last chip was but i know the stunt cycle cartridge that you rated a while ago Wes, was one of them right i know one of them was like the 8610 that had 10 palm games and then what was the last one some motorcycle games or something No, no no what was the last one oh it was tank games but like this one is two essentially speed race games but already i'm like wait a minute we had four stunt cycle games and now you're telling me we only have two here <laughs> like that's not a lot yeah it is a you know a cartridge so i guess it's like it's like that weird first gen thing where like all the info's on the cartridge so you're not buying a full giant piece of hardware for this first generation game, but it's just two racing games and that's it. And what's even worse is that the two racing games are one is one player, one is two player. That is it. <laughs> that, oh, that, no. That's your two games, yeah. And what's even worse is that the one player game is the exact same map. It's a split screen, you know, you're racing up the screen type deal. And the one player is just the split screen that's on the right side of the screen doesn't have a, a car racing. but you're only racing on the left half of the screen like it doesn't even blow up to only one racetrack like there's still another track to the right of you but just nothing's going on
0: there reminding you of what you could have had
1: (laughs) yeah it's weird that the one player it's it's not like half of the screen is just completely pointless
0: (laughs) right just put like a an ai or even like a car that does nothing on the other side at least it looks like something's happening
1: (laughs) cars still come down from the top on that side but obviously there's no car dodging them or anything right it just seems super weird so essentially you've got one game you know and it's a you know drive up not as high it's slightly different it does have scrolling graphics which i guess was its big thing and the further that or the better that you did, the faster the screen would go. You know, coming down and the faster other cars that you would have to dodge come down from the top. So you start out slow, they come down slow. And then the better that you do, the faster and faster. But there doesn't seem to be a limit with the speed. So it's impossible after a certain amount of time. You always crash. <laughs> like Because it, it just starts going ridiculously fast. So the game is literally... You're driving, you're dodging cars for, like, five seconds. It gets way too fast and you crash. And then you drive five seconds and you crash. And it's like, you never get that sense of, like, doing really well and, like, being fast for a while because it goes way too fast. I mean, it's, like, exponential. And there's three cars at a time that come down. So it's really hard to dodge them all. And it goes fast, like, way faster than I think a human could play it and... (laughs) chill at the fastest speed, you know? Right. So you're just constantly crashing and starting over, and it's even more terrible with two-player because the moment either of you crashes, you both start from zero again. (laughs) And, you know, whoever crashes, the other person gets a point, so it's a point-based thing, but it's not like, you know, I drove further or anything like that. It's like the person beside you crashed, so the three seconds of driving that I had... I had to stop. We're starting from the from the bottom again. <laughs> it's uh incredibly frustrating. I the whole thing is just like so many question marks in my head. I'm like, what were they right. thinking? <laughs> so uh yeah, that's that's this one. The PC five oh four. Oh man. Yeah, and that's it. I mean there's nothing else <laughs> going, going <laughs> on there. That's that's the whole thing. So let's get into the ratings. I'm going to start with gameplay. I mean, I gave it a 1.25 out of 10 because I guess it had scrolling graphics. And with two players, there's eight cars on the screen at one time, which is a lot. So it does what it says it's going to do. But it's just incredibly frustrating to play. (laughs) And uh, I don't know why anybody would play it, to be honest. It's (laughs) it's, It's just been done so many other times in way better ways, you know? Right. Especially, I just played, like, Laguna Racer not that long ago, which is, it's not exactly the same as this, but just give me that any day of the week. I mean, this is just not good. <laughs> so, I, I don't like it. I'm I'm giving a pretty low score. I think 1.25 out of 10 is, like, pretty generous.
2: Right.
1: For graphics, it did have true color graphics, and uh, with the PC50 whatever line, I believe the colors changed depending on whatever console you had because there was like, I don't know, 50 consoles that could play these PC 50X games and they were each a little different. But uh, in the video that I saw, you had essentially three different colors. It was like this white for your car and also the outsides of the track. And then the uh, track you were driving on was like a weird tealish blue. And then the enemy cars were dark blue. So you had a a blue on like a teal which was not great but um it was fine i I thought the colors look fine the sprites for the cars they look okay i'd say they look better than the fairchild sprites maybe even similar to the atari sprites to be honest with you so um i think the sprites and stuff looked all fine but it's like impossible to play the game so i I never really could enjoy that (laughs) so i just gave it a two out of ten it was kind of what i expected almost And uh, nothing special. And then for sound, I gave it 1.75 out of 10. Again, nothing special. You have kind of classic crash sounds, classic uh, engine sounds that rev up the faster you go. But as you guys will hear, you never stay fast (laughs) very long. (laughs) So it's just kind of got annoying. But nothing special again. everything we've heard before and then relevance i gave it three out of ten i don't know i don't this doesn't seem one that seems very popular for the pc50x line and since it's just two games even a lot of the consoles that i'll talk about in a sec that i do see with this included also had other chips with it too because like if you had two racing games with i don't know six pong games or ten pong games it's like okay this is like a nice little bundle But just two by themselves was just not enough. Not when they're the same game. (laughs) Especially because we've seen this type of game a lot, where you're just kind of going up a track. I mean, that is Speed Race, and that's been around since, like, I don't know, 74 or something? And we've seen it just about in every console. So I don't think this one was any more relevant than any of those ones. And that leaves me, overall, 1.5 out of 10. It kind of sucked. (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like it kind of sucked
0: it sounds like it may be more than kind of sucked but
1: (laughs) well it's weird because i you know the graphics are are good the sound isn't terrible but the gameplay is just garbage (laughs) and uh, i think the value for money is just terrible (laughs) i mean to buy money on a cartridge and get essentially one game (laughs) and the game is not good it's like well that's kind of that was that was it i mean that was you were living and dying by this game... And you weren't living... So... <laughs> yeah... But... Uh, before I move on... I do want to mention the chips involved... Because there are some new ones here... The The PC504 was the... AY38603 chip... So that, that one has the two racing games... I also want to mention... The 8601 and 02... They were apparently chips that... Were never released... But I guess... We know what they were for some reason. <laughs> I'm not quite sure the eighty six oh one apparently had two jungle games on it, which sounds awesome, but mm. apparently unreleased and then the eighty six o two had volleyball games on it again, unreleased so uh, I don't know. I just thought they were cool, but this is the eighty six o three and then uh we only have other than the p c fifty x consoles, which we talked about I think at the beginning of the year there was one console I found that was its own thing and it just used this chip. That was the Video Raceway by Soundic. It used this chip and it also used the 8760 chip, which was the stunt cycle games. So you had the stunt cycle games and then two racing games, which together it's like sounds pretty cool. But um, just two racing games, that's not cool. So I'm, I'm glad <laughs> they nice. added another chip there. And yeah, that's it, Wes. I mean... No. Yeah, yeah, there's not much more to say <laughs> it
0: doesn't sound like it. it sounds like there's not a lot going on there so why don't i delicately change the subject and <laughs> bring us into our next or our last honorable mention for today wrapping up the people's computers for 77 with the november and december issue we have another mac oglesby classic oh man survivor and it's a two-player version of life that we've already seen before
1: But I just love saying Mac
0: Oglesby Classic. I mean, it's...
1: We need to get a shirt for that. Yeah, yeah. We should ask him. (laughs) (laughs) Would you sign this shirt?
0: (laughs) And that wraps us up for uh, today, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we closed out a bunch of stuff. I mean, creative computing and people's computers. To be honest, they didn't really have much in there. But uh, we wrapped them up anyway. And then we did three awesome Fairchild video cards. Baseball. Robot War and Torpedo Alley, and then Sonar Search, which were all surprisingly like decent. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, the PC 504 chip, man, that was not good, Wes. When I found out there was two games, I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe it's okay." And then I was like, looked at it, I was like, "This is only one game." <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just took away half of my enthusiasm with one one quick look, and I just can't get over the fact that the one-player mode had a second track on it that was blank (laughs) I just I cannot get over that
0: and as always if you want to hear us rant more about how horrible the uh, PC504 was make sure to follow us on Twitter check us out on our website where we'll probably put a little poop symbol next to it when we upload an article about it
1: and send us
0: an email if you have any questions
1: oh now I'm (laughs) looking forward to it oh but see (laughs) No, wasn't there another one I was saving the poop for? Oh, it was the RCA, the RCA Studio 2 Pong game. Oh, no. That's going
0: to be a rough battle.
1: Well, I've got a lot to talk about when we do that. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll be for, for later. In the meantime, I hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next week.
0: See you all next time.